You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Gracious Father, uh, be with us now. Um, visit uh, visit us this 30 minutes, this hour, whatever it's going to be. Um, uh, be present and dwell among us. Uh, make my words yours, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Come on in. Um, uh, I'm get settled. Grab a Bible if you want one. Thank you, Mark, very much. Um, doesn't bother me at all if you want to cross in front. Uh, happy rally day. It's always a zoo. Forgive me as I sort of shift gears here, um, trying to to move from uh, whatever I was doing earlier to whatever I'm doing now. Uh, first week, starting a series on the Gospel of John. Um, it's be first of six. My intention today. We'll see how this goes. I know myself. Pretty well, unfortunately, and I don't do this always the best, um, but I'd like to go to 45,000 feet and do an overview of the Gospel of John so we can kind of get a sense of the big picture. Um, we'll start at the end because uh, the writer of John, who I think is probably the disciple, um, there's some contest on that, and I'm not, I'm not going to dive into that part. But the writer of John tells us what the purpose of the book is very clearly at the end. So at least want to start there so we have an idea of where he's headed, uh, even as we get started at the beginning. Um, and this got a really interesting literary structure, if you know that sort of thing, which I, I kind of am, uh, to, uh, to see how he lays it out and what he's doing in the big picture. Because then when you get into the details, once you look at the forest, that makes sometimes the individual trees all the more compelling or interesting in certain ways. So that's my hope anyway to to uh, today is to introduce the gospel of john and, and kind of get our eyes and our ears around this very unusual gospel um so what is it about john uh uh let's well, even with your a lot of flipping today um and as always inter- interrupt if you'd like uh, but at the back of the book john 20 there are 21 chapters in john um chapter 21 as we'll see in a minute is something like an epilogue so at the end of the the main body of John, uh, right there at verse 31, chapter 20, verse 31, the, the author of John, John himself, writes this. Um, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these, but these, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he tells us at the very end what he meant to do. So we're peeking ahead, reading the last page first, by trying to see what is it that John wants to do? What effect does he want to have on us? What spell does he want to cast? What does he want to do as the living word falls on our ears, uh, our dead ears, if we put ourselves in the position of Lazarus, which is going to be the end of part one, as we'll look at. The story of Lazarus is only in John. It's one of the great stories in the scripture. So when the living word falls on the dead ears of one who's dead in their trespasses and sins. Hello, pleased to meet you. Uh, What happens? And John tells us this. I wrote these things so that you, ye who are dead in your trespasses and sins, uh, with dead ears like Lazarus, may believe that Jesus is the Christ, may be given belief, may be faithed. As we talked about last spring, for those who were in the class that I was doing that the word believe and faith are really the same words um, in the Greek anyway. It's just that we don't have the same word in English. I was thinking about that this morning. Love is kind of like that. The word we use for love, L-O-V-E, 
uh, in English, we use it as both a noun and a verb. I love love. I love the verb, the noun love. Um, uh, we can we can say that, and it's not at all confusing. Um, when you hear faith and belief or believe, uh, so faith and belief, those are both nouns, and then believe is a verb. All those have the same word going on, pistis or pisteu, if you want to follow those sorts of things. It's kind of like love. You can say, uh, uh, you can almost interchange those things. But these are written so that you may be faithed, so that you may have faith, that you may believe uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by being faithed, that by faithing, that by believing, you may have life in his name. And why is that so important? Because I want to say again and again and again and again and again and again and again, how do we come to faith? Do we gin up ourselves? Do we run harder? Do we, do we spin the bike faster? Um, how do we come to faith? Faith is pure gift, 100% of the time. Faith comes by hearing. It comes by hearing the gospel, where the word is living and active, and when it falls on our ears, especially the dead ears of Lazarus, and it says, come forth. Now that word, come forth, is the gospel to Lazarus, and he comes out of the tomb. He says, unwrap him. He's alive. Why are you all standing here? This man is wrapped in... in in dead clothes, in, a, in, in, de- in, in cloths that you wrap dead people in, and he's not dead. Little girl, I say to you, arise. Um, have peace. My peace I give to you. He'll say that over and over and over in John 15 and 16. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the, the helper, the comforter, the, uh, the, the counselor, um, and the advocate, all those, 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 those functions of the Holy Spirit. He's giving it to us as gift. And this is his purpose of the book, that you, uh, fellow sinner, the one who has a need, and you know what you need. I, I don't, um, but you do. Um, or maybe you don't, but maybe you will, because the Word will do that work on you as well, that it will awaken you to see things as they are, including who I am uh, and who I'm not and who the Lord wants me to be, and who the Lord is making me to be. And then I sit there and say, like, my Lord and my God, which also comes from John. That's Thomas's great, that's the climax of the gospel, right before in John 20, uh, where my Lord, the one who I follow, and my God, deity on earth, uh, uh, my life is yours. It's no longer my own. Um, this is what we're doing, that you may believe uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life. By his name, no other name on heaven or on earth, um, and then you may have life. Not death, not, uh, not same old, same old, but something that's alive and lively and life-giving. And these are all going to be themes that we'll be chasing the next six weeks, the next five weeks, about living water, living bread, life, truth, truth that sets you free, um, not uh, an untruth that keeps you locked, being able to see things as they actually are. Uh, that's John's purpose of the book. So that's why I wanted to look at it in the next few weeks, and I hope you'll come along. So any thoughts there? Any comments on the, the purpose of the book? Um, before we start to dive in and look at its structure, that's probably the best part of the class. You can leave and go here with you know, Mark or Andrew or something else if you want to. But, um, um, so John, what do we know about John? Um, uh, a lot of us would know this, but I'll go ahead. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are called the Gospels. Uh, the, the Gospels 
not just because these are the only place where we hear the gospel, um, the good news that Christ died for sinners or all the other ways we describe it, but the gospels in the sense that, because those are in all the books from Genesis to Revelation, uh, but the gospels, the four gospels written by the evangelist, um, the ones who are delivering the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, are the apostles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We sometimes call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptics, and John is always held out, and just to say John. If I ever slip and you hear me say the word Joannine, I'm sorry, I know it sounds pretentious and all that. It's just the adjective to describe the Joannine writings as opposed to the synoptics or something else like that. Just the writing of John, because it's so different. Synoptics, the ones that kind of feel the same, I know, I'm sorry, it's hot. Um, uh, because they seem to come from one source, um, where Mark probably seems like it's the, uh, yeah, it's the, it doesn't work, Miller. I wish it did. I know it. It's like, that ain't 68, so, yeah. And it's on 68, but it's not happening. Um, I'll try to find out what to do. Um, uh, the synoptics seem to come from one place, and then John from a whole other one, um, which means there's a lot that's different. A quick glance through the Gospels. When you look at John, what's not in John? There's no birth account of Jesus, how he came into a, the physical birth. There's no baptism account of Jesus. There's no account of his temptation in the wilderness by the devil. There's nothing on the Last Supper. There's nothing in Gethsemane, which is on the night when Jesus was betrayed, where he, he, he went out and he took Peter, James, and John, and, and they fell asleep, and he was praying, Lord, if, uh, if it's possible, let this cup, this fate, this tomorrow pass from me, but not my will be done but yours where Luke adds the, the distinction that he was so anxious, so distraught, that he even sweated blood. Completely absent in John. Um, uh, nothing of the ascension, no word of healing by those possessed by spirits, spirits or demons, and no parables. The parables are all in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So synoptics have all that. They're sort of similar. They're just, they've got some same stuff. And then John stands holy, not holy, different, very different. Uh, some people would want to say that, and you hear this, you read this a lot if you're reading about John, that it's the spiritual gospel. Um, and that's true in two ways. Uh, the Holy Spirit, it takes primary place in, in the gospel of John. He's certainly not absent in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but it's called the spiritual gospel. I think a lot of times it's used to describe something that I don't think is true with John, where it's trying to say that John is the spiritual gospel where John isn't as concerned with some of the day-to-day -day historical uh, just sort of flesh and bone and, and cups and earthware and walking and all that, that it's spiritual and not material. And I don't think that's true at all. When we read John, another sub-theme that we'll be following is just how important it is for John, the writer, to emphasize that this is, I am an eyewitness to this. The lawyers in the room might be really interested. You read it's very, it's a testimony. He uses that word a lot. Uh, it's uh, it's heavy concern with truth, testimony, and an eyewitness account. All of those words show up in John repeatedly. Not so much that he's heavy-handed. You may miss it if you're not looking at it. But John is taking real pains to say like this really happened. I wrote him down, and I wrote him down for a reason that you might have life. But I didn't make it up. I'm not saying it didn't happen. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I witnessed these things, and I, by my hand, here they are. He says that twice, once in 20 and also once in 21. 
So um, it's not spiritual in the sense that it's sort of disembodied from the actual life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, uh, and it's going to, like all of the Gospels, get to the cross, get to the resurrection, and say, this really happened. Um, that's going to be an important part. So I can go forward, but I'm going to move. Um, John was written to, I think, both Jews and Gentiles. Um, I'm not going to sort of look at that. Uh, uh, yeah, let me just move. Um, who do 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 do? Let's do this because we a little bit more text work. You can turn to John 1, uh, which was the very end of it, where, uh, where does he say this? In verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. He said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. Son of Joseph. Nathanael said to John, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. So here's a little bit. We'll talk a lot more about this next week, along with the prologue of John. Uh, but the historicity, come and see. Uh, the, the, I witnessed it. I want you to witness it too. Come and see this man. The man. Jesus of Nazareth. The son of Joseph. What is he saying here? It's one of my favorite themes, so I need to be short. This, um, uh, this section of John um, has seven titles. Seven is an important word, number for John. Um, seven titles that he gives to Jesus, where he calls him the Lamb of God, the Son of God, Rabbi, the Son of Man, Messiah, the King of Israel, and Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth the Son of Joseph. He's trying to describe this whole picture this fully human man from Nazareth, the son of Joseph the carpenter, is the Messiah, king, and teacher of Israel, and the son of God who will die for the sins of the world. And this emphasis on Nazareth, the son of Joseph the carpenter. Each of us has a place and a people that we're really proud that we're not from there. <laughs> Welcome, Mississippi, right? I mean, that's, that's how, there you go. So, Alabamians are like, well, we're not Mississippi when it comes to education and all that stuff. You know, it's, um, you know, I'm from this little town in, in Texas, and it's like, well, it's not, I'm not from Belleville. You know, <laughs> I'm from Seeley. You know, we all have that. And it's ridiculous. You can live in Crestline. It's like, well, I don't live in, you know, Mount Brook uh, Village. I don't live in, I don't live that village. You know, it can be just goofy the way that we all have this pride of place or this pride of people or this pride of blank that I'm not that. Because what my heart loves, the will chooses, and my mind justifies. And it says, well, I'm not like those people, um, the people from Belleville, the people from Mississippi, pardon me, um, or from, you know, the other side of the street, or just down the hall, or the person sleeping next to me. At least I'm not like that. We can get really goofy with all that. And John wants to level all that at the very beginning with a, uh, a very human response, Nazareth? Really? You want me to come see somebody from Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? He cuts under and is like, come and see. An eyewitness account. Um, uh, let yourself be testimony. Make a testimony of these things. And see if it's not true. You see if it's not true. And that's going to be a primary theme throughout the Gospel of John. He's going to introduce these signs, which aren't miracles to John. The signs always pointing to a deeper more universal and more, more uh, uh, eternal truth. Why? 
because then he wants to get you, each one of us, it's a very personal gospel in this way, to come and see. Uh, he does all these signs, like he changes um, water to wine and then wants to point out that it's not just about wine, but he goes immediately to like the Messianic feast that's described in Isaiah 25, where on this mountain, death shall be swallowed up, swallowed up, I'm a hard time speaking this morning. Y'all saw that. <laughs> uh, death shall be swallowed up, and a great feast uh, with fine wine shall be served for all time. Uh, and he always wants to point it to something else. Every sign takes what's true in here, uh, a healing of a man who was blind from birth, and he amplifies it to say, this is what God, who God is and what my Father has been doing all along as the light of the world. Uh, and it comes to us, come and see, which is also in parentheses, who do you say that he is? Is he just the one who's doing the, the voodoo and the jingle jangle and changing water into wine and healing this boy and, and, uh, and the man who was born blind uh, and raising Lazarus from the dead? Or is there something else? Um, who is he for you? He says he's the way, the truth, and the life, that he's the life and the resurrection. Uh, what about you? Is that true? Come and see. That's his personal invitation. So, big picture. John is in two parts, part one, part two. Um, part one, you can flip around, ask questions wherever you want to go. I've got to move quick and, yeah, we can do this and leave some time. Um, part one, uh, broken into three parts, um, where John one is has a prologue, 1 through 18, and then verses 19 through 51. Sort of introduces what I just said, where it introduces seven names for Jesus uh, to get each of us to begin to confront the question, who is this man? Who is he? Who is he to you? It's a very personal word. Uh, and then John 2 through 10, chapters 2 through 10, this is where he performs the miraculous signs, six of them, generating controversy. He always does it, and he knows that he's going to make a controversy. John slows down. In some ways, my other... I think John and Mark, you know, can you really say what your favorite gospel is? I always sort of go to John and Mark. They're opposites. Mark speeds up where it's just like straight away, straight away, straight away, straight away, straight away. It's like seven times in the first chapter. Mark wants to say straight away. And Jesus, he never stops. I mean, it's like he's running. But some people call Mark's gospel the race to the cross. And John's the opposite. It slows down. So if you like to really dig in and do some heavy theology and sort of have one story that you get, you know, all sides of the picture. John 6 is your chapter. What is it, like 72 verses or something like that, where things slow down. He wants to stick at this angle and this angle and this angle and this angle and from here and from here. John wants to do all that. So in John 2 through 10, there aren't that many scenes. If we were screenwriters and we had to sort of script this out, you wouldn't have that many, 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 many scenes. There aren't that many scene changes. It kind of goes slow, uh, where John 2 through 10 is the performing of the miraculous signs, then culminating in the first part in John 11 and 12, where he raises Lazarus from the dead. This is right in Jerusalem. He's signing his death warrant. Um, uh, and then Palm Sunday happens, where he called back, knowing that when he goes this time, uh, he's going to enter as the king of the Jews, who's going to be rejected by its leaders. Um, that's part one. And then part two comes along, where in John 13 uh, is the, the account of the Last Supper and the new command which he gives us to love one another as, as we have been loved by him. And then it goes through with his uh, uh, 
crucifixion, um, his arrest and his crucifixion in 17, 18, and 19, and then his resurrection in 20, and then the epilogue in John 21. So it falls out into pretty neat patterns. Part one, primarily the book of the signs, leading to the final sign and his entrance into Jerusalem. And then part two, he speaks a lot. A lot of it's in prayer, uh, where it's his last week and his words to his disciples. Breaks down, and especially in part one. Um, seven is an important word. This is kind of fun. Um, I don't get too far into to numbers and all that. But there are four, at least four sets of sevens that are very important to John. Again, big picture kind of stuff. Um, the seven I am statements, a lot of us would recognize this. Um, whenever you're, this is really helpful if you're ever playing Bible trivia, because people will think you feel like you're really smart. If you're like, where does Jesus say, I am the door? You can say, John, because he says, I am. He doesn't do that anywhere else. So anywhere you get that, you know this is John. He has seven of these things. He says, I am the bread of life. I am, that's in chapter 6. I am the light of the world, chapter 8. I am the door of the sheep and the good shepherd. Both of those are in chapter 10. I am the resurrection and the life in 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life in 15. And I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. That's in John 15. Not only that, he also then sets up several scenes so that in response to that generate that controversy he likes to generate, where he sort of works everything so there's a um, climactic moment where he gets to then sort of throw in this phrase, I am, which is ego a me. Uh, and it's not going to come across in the English, which is why that matters, because the Greek structure of the sentence is very different. But where he says, I am, ego a me, several times where these moments sort of lead to this, this tension. Um, when he meets the woman at the well uh, in John 4, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Again, in English it breaks out, but he says, the one speaking to you, I am. Kind of doesn't work that way, but he keeps saying these things over and over and over seven times in chapter six uh, when he's walking on the water and he tells to the uh, uh, to his disciples. But he said to them, his disciples, "It is I. I am. Do not be afraid." Um, or in chapter eight, three times where he's in the temple courts and he's just talking to whoever's there, the onlookers that are assembled. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, uh, you will die in your sins. Um, Uh, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, And at the Last Supper, I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am. And the last one, right when he was getting arrested, they came and they said, um, John doesn't have Judas give him a kiss. Jesus lays down his life. Nobody takes it from him. And so he says, the, 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 the soldiers come to arrest him. And rather than having to find out who is, which one is he in the crowd, he just steps forward and he says, I am. I am he. He voluntarily surrenders his life um, so that uh, 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 it's not taken. Why does all this matter? Well, because in Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush, um, where God's covenant name, as it was called, um, Yahweh is what we sometimes call it. Anytime in our Bibles where you're reading them, and you see the Lord, or sometimes it's just God, and it's in all caps or small caps, that's Yahweh. Um, they put that in there just so we know what it is. It's the most common way that the Lord describes himself to us. Because God said to Moses, I am who I am. Uh, and so say to the people when they say, who sent you to us? Say to the people, I am has sent me to you. So it's a clunk. <laughs> 
It's a really clunky thing. And Jesus just clunks all over the place saying, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. What's he doing? He's totally and completely and unequivocally uh, drawing tension and attention to himself as all of the, the leaders are going to unmistakably recognize that he is equating himself with Yahweh, with the I am who I am, I was who I was, and I will be who I will be. Jesus is saying, I am is now here. I am is now among you. Now, who do you say that I am? <laughs> now, who, who am I to you? What are you going to do about this, this word that's made flesh and is now dwelling or tabernacling, tabernacling here uh, among you? Uh, life, death, freedom, peace. What's it going to be? How is it going to happen to you? So he's got the seven I am statements, um, the I am uh, sentences uh, where the moments are drawn in, seven signs. We've talked about the signs. Um, John never calls them miracles. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. Um, for John, it's always a sign. It's a sign pointing not only to this, but to that thing which God is doing and has always been doing, where he changes water into wine and he heals a sick boy and he heals a paralyzed man then he feeds 5,000. He heals a blind man. He raises Lazarus. Those are the six in verses 1 through 11. And then finally, his resurrection in John 20. Um, and then also seven titles for Jesus. Um, it's hot. Um, what do we want to do? Keep going? Open the door? Break? Let's do that. Um, let's open that one. So, um, Hello. Well, come on in. So something in the closet and I'll do it okay just opening this because it's too hot in here um, we'll move quickly through this part um, uh, and get a little break here and mop our brow um, uh, the sub-outline, um, if Jesus is going through all these in part one and part two, this is the interesting stuff, and I'll, I'll try to do this quickly. In John 2 through 4, I didn't realize this until I was reading this again a couple of weeks ago, he takes four institutions, the wedding, uh, the sort of Jewish institution of a wedding, and the temple, and being a ruler, a rabbi, and then kind of the institution of the place, the place of Jacob's well and the water that comes from that particular place, which had become almost, it's almost like Bear Bryant's statue or something. It became this place that was an institution to Israel. It meant something to them. It was strongly represented. He takes all those and he turns them to himself very much. He, he, he says, I know you have Jacob's well, but I am the living water. Uh, I know that you have the temple, uh, but I am the living temple. And what are you going to do? You're going to destroy this temple, and I'm going to raise it again in three days. Really got him in trouble. That was the first time. Uh, chapters 2 through 4, he turns all these around, where he meets Nicodemus, a ruler or a rabbi. And, uh, and he says that Nicodemus, who was a teacher like him, and trying to say, hey, we, let's talk man to man. And he says, information's not enough. Um, the teaching of Israel is not, going to, uh, be sad, it's not going to be sufficient anymore from now on. You have to be born again of water and the Spirit. And he's going, what? And that's where the whole John 3.16 comes on, uh, which we'll look at 
in two weeks. We'll spend some time in John 3. And then John 5 through 10, after he just did the four Jewish institution, he takes four Jewish feasts, which is kind of interesting. The feast of the Sabbath, a feast, the Sabbath day, and an unnamed feast, and then the feast of the Passover in chapter 6, and then the feast of the tabernacles, uh, which we don't normally, are sometimes called the booths, which celebrates the, uh, the wilderness wanderings of Israel for the 40 years. And then lastly, the Feast of Hanukkah, which we, uh, the Bible usually calls it, the, the Gospel usually calls it the Feast of Dedication, where he rededicates the temple to himself. So Jesus takes the Jewish feasts, which is very interesting, and turns them back to himself. So like on the Sabbath, where he uh, uh, heals a man, of course, just like in the synoptics, they get really mad. And it's like, you're doing work on the Sabbath, which just seems so silly to us. And he says, I do that because my father is always working and now I am. It's part of where it is. He's always working. Now, he's, as it were, he's not because I am. Because now the Father who is in me and I am in the Father am here. More hot water for him. Turning the Passover over, which of course is a celebration of the Passover meal, the lamb, the bread, and the wine. Uh, celebrating the time uh, right before the, uh, the Exodus. He takes all that, and this is in John 6, the long chapter where he starts talking about it's no longer the celebration of the Passover feast every year, that now, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. He just hits it over and over and over again. I remember one time our small group was reading that. Anybody in my small group here? This was like 10 years ago. And it was, it got kind of gross. Like I'd never read it out loud before. And it got, it got like, it struck me how offensive that is. I mean, people kept trying to exit and say, like, well, but, you know, it's a spiritual food. He's like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it's no mistake. He's trying to, like, gross you out. Because then, right there, it's an easy verse to remember, John 6, 66, because of the whole 66. Um, he said, and from that point forward, many stopped believing and walked away. They didn't follow him anymore because the teaching was too hard. And so Jesus takes Passover turns it to himself as the living flesh of God and no longer just the memorial offering. Uh, and then he takes um, the tabernacles, the booths, uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles. The tabernacles are those times where in the wilderness wanderings they would take uh, basically a teepee. I mean, that's probably our, our, the, the equivalent that we would be most familiar with. Just skins, same word that we get a skin from. Uh, the feast of the skins, the, the skin coverings, the teepees. Uh, he takes all that and he says it's no longer dedicating uh, 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 the, the feast of the booths of the tabernacles are no longer about me. Where the wilderness, where people were wandering in the wilderness and Moses tapped on the rock with the staff and water came out of the rock uh, or the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day, which was the guiding and illuminating and comforting presence of God who was very near. He turns all that over like he's just doing systematically again and again and again. And rather than Moses providing water, he says, I am the living water. And rather than the pillar of, of fire and the pillar of cloud being the, 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 the illuminating, guiding, comforting presence of God, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Just keeps turning it over and over and over again to say all these things that you built your whole structure around. They're no longer applicable. They weren't wrong. 
but now I am. And just keeps wanting to say, I am. And so our question keeps coming back. So come and see that by believing you may have life in his name, by believing these things, that all this once was, but now it is no more, because he is here. Uh, and it works up through Hanukkah, the Feast of Rededication. It's where Judas Maccabees, sort of, when Israel had, had, had gone into apostasy, he rededicated the temple to himself, and so it's called the Feast of Dedication. Uh, here he goes into the temple area, and he says that he is the one whom God has set apart, uh, who has consecrated or dedicated, that Jesus himself is the one who God has dedicated as the Holy One, as the temple of God, the place where people meet God. They go to meet with God. Um, I and the Father are one, he says. So repeatedly, he just wants to offend his hearers to generate um, controversy, but in the way that stirs a listless heart to the clarity of decision, to the clarity of better, I would say, apprehension of uh, where Thomas exclaimed, I didn't didn't choose this faith, my Lord and my God. What else could I do? We fall in love. I didn't choose to fall in love. It just happened. I mean, there I was. And I looked up and suddenly I was like, I'm in love. I mean, it just got on me and I couldn't get it off. Um, It's sort of like that with this. It's like, my Lord and my God. I, I, I can't do anything else except believe that you are my Lord and you are my God. So come and see. That's going to be the repeated theme that goes on. So let me hit stop, just because it's a good place to do it. Um, we're, look, we're, look, we're not going to spend much time in, in part two, the next five weeks. We'll stay up to the uh, uh, the last sign, the raising of Lazarus. But I'm sure we'll pepper around and do different things. But this is the Gospel of John in a nutshell. Remembering his purpose, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, the carpenter, uh, and then this really significant structure. It's not happenstantial at all, uh, with a, a significance of seven, among other numbers, and then also a very strong outline. John's going somewhere so that as you believe, uh, you might believe and have life. So comments or thoughts, questions? Yeah, Alec? Um, talking about the Gospels, you think about the Old Testament, it is old, and there's questions about who wrote certain chapters and, and things in the Old Testament, not so much in the New Testament. And one reason that Christ's death in the New Testament is going to, if I believe so much, is that the Gospels apparently were written very soon after Christ right. was crucified. Yep. And I've read different dates, but I mean, I've read dates in close in years, hundreds of years. I mean, how close... Yeah, wouldn't not more than a hundred. Um, uh, the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, most most would say were written first. Mark being first, and Matthew and Luke second. I think this is changing. This is a conversation I have with Mark Gentilette or somebody else. Uh, a few outliers would have John be written written even earlier. So Jesus died probably about 33, 32, something like that. Uh, the first ones were being written about 50. 859, I think, something like that. Interesting, a lot of the letters of Paul were written before the Gospels, even though we read the Gospels before, the, but they were the first. Uh, it's hard to tell. John either was the last one, like 70-something. Um, it has to happen before the temple was destroyed. Um, or more and more people are starting to say, or it could have been either at the same time or even earlier 
than the synoptics because of the emphasis on um, uh, it, it's it's still historical. A lot of people want to say that it was written to combat Gnosticism and some other later isms that were beginning to emerge, and it seems like the scholarship is starting to turn on that. So, so we don't know, but it was definitely soon. Everything was finished before. When was the temple destroyed? Some of y'all know that. Seventy-two. When was it? Seventy A.D. So, so it was done by seventy, because um, uh, otherwise it would have certainly been included. Yeah. So less than. 40 years. Um, Vietnam War is now further behind us than any of the Gospels. So, yeah. Let me pray. Lord, take these words feebly offered in a hot room and uh, and let uh, do what you will with them. Um, draw us to uh, give courage to doubting souls' um, belief uh, and let us come and see what you would have prepared for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.